Welcome! My name is Perry and you're listening to another crumulant episode of Hello Mr. Burns, a research podcast where I talk about old school Simpsons episodes to see what we can learn from them. How much do you love me? With all our hearts! What would you do if I went off the air? We kill ourselves! (laughs) Today's episode, Krusty Gets Busted is the second last episode of season one of The Simpsons. This season is astonishingly short with only 12 episodes because, as I keep shouting in your ears, it was a throw-together show that almost didn't make it to the air. The name of this episode just keeps tripping me up, so you might hear me saying a few times the wrong name because I feel like it should be called Krusty Gets Cancelled with a K. But I guess cancel culture wasn't ready to cancel anyone in the 90s, so it's Krusty Got Busted. You're smarter than me. As always, we'll be starting with a super-duper quick episode synopsis, list out new and notable characters, and then we're going to get straight into some good old research and did you knows. In this episode, we're going to be covering human cannonballs. We're going to do a really quick minute about uh, which was first, vanilla or chocolate ice cream. And then we're going to get into the scandal of the Beatles um, and that time that John Lennon said that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. In this research, I'm happy to say that I came across my favorite celebrity beef ever with Mel C of Spider. Spice Girls facing off with Oasis's Noel Gallagher and poor Buddha just being dragged in the middle. As an update from the Simpsons universe and my teeny tiny peanut brain, I only just found out that Nancy Cartwright is a full-on Scientologist. So Nancy Cartwright, of course, famously does the voice of Bart Simpson. What the hell are you doing, Lee? So Cartwright was reportedly raised a Roman Catholic but she joined the Church of Scientology in 1991. She's a huge supporter of the church, and she even did promotional material for Scientology in her Bart Simpson voice. Listen to this. Hey, what's happening, man? This is Bart Simpson. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't hang up. This is Nancy Cartwright, and this is a very special phone call to you. I'm now auditing on New OT7 and have been asked to speak at the Flag World Tour event. In 2007, she got an award from the church After she donated $10 million to them, that's actually twice her annual salary. I am definitely going off topic. We're not talking about the episode, but um, it's a little sus that in 2007, Cartwright was engaged to a construction contractor named Stephen Brackett. He was also a fellow member of Scientology. So the couple was set to be married in early 2008, but Brackett died a year later after he apparently leaped off the Bixby Creek Bridge in California. So the word apparently leaped is in little inverted commas on Wikipedia, which is also sus. Um, I had a look at the court news documents surrounding what happened, and from what I can tell, Brackett and Cartwright took money from a client of his constructions business and gave it to the Church of Scientology. So the amount that he owed was around $260,000, which is peanuts to Nancy Cartwright. But anyway, Right after this scandal happened, he mysteriously jumped off a bridge. Once again, in case you forgot, Scientology is not good. Get out, peeps. Anyway, enough about that. Shall we get started? Okay. So the episode begins with Bart, Lisa, and Maggie watching Krusty the Clown on TV, where we see a very reluctant and very unhappy sideshow Bob launch from a cannon. Meanwhile, Homer's on his way home from work, and he stops off at the Quickie Mart for ice cream. While he's there, he witnesses Krusty robbing Apu at gunpoint. You can emerge now from my chips. The opportunity to prove yourself a hero is long gone. (sighs) Homer reports it to the police, 
and Krusty's arrested in a frenzy of paparazzi and news broadcasts. Kent Brockman reports on the upcoming trial and kind of like does a little history of Krusty the Clown, including the fact that Krusty has a pacemaker. Reverend Lovejoy calls for a public burning of all Krusty merchandise. During the trial, we learn that Krusty is actually illiterate and Bart notices that he has small feet. It's a bit of a weird thing to notice about someone, but anyway. Due to overwhelming evidence, he's declared guilty and sentenced. Absolutely devastated, Bart and Lisa return to the scene of the crime at the Quickie Mart to search for clues. They find the first clue. Krusty can't have used the microwave because he wears a pacemaker. They also find the second clue. Krusty wouldn't have been reading at the magazine rack because he's illiterate. The next day, Bart, Lisa and Maggie meet at the studio to ask Sideshow Bob if Krusty had any enemies. But before they can really ask him, Bob dismisses their investigations because his show's about to start, but he does give them tickets to watch it. During the live broadcast, Bart again tries to appeal to Bob, saying that Krusty was framed. Bob tries to change the subject, admitting to the audience that he has big shoes to fill. At that moment, Bart recalls while watching the security tape that he noticed that the robber yelled at Homer when Homer accidentally stepped on his foot at one point. It's the third and final clue indicating that the robber did in fact have big feet. J'accuse! Bob is arrested, and Krusty thanks Bart for setting him free. The end. Sideshow Bob makes his first appearance as a major character in this episode. However, his first official appearance was in the background of a scene in the season one episode, The Telltale Head, but he didn't speak and he had like a different hairstyle. James Earl Jones uh, was originally cast as Bob, but the producers decided to go with Kelsey Grammer. Now, I love, love, love Sideshow Bob as a character, um, but after watching The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and seeing how Kelsey Grammer was cheating on Camille and he treated her, I really don't want to like him. So, as always, here comes the eternal question. Do we separate the art from the artist? I mean, that's up to you, right? I personally boycott R. Kelly, Chris Brown, but you do you, boo-boo. His hackney shenanigans robbed me of my dignity for years. I played the buffoon while he squandered a fortune on his vulgar appetites. That's why I framed Krusty. Also making his first appearance in this episode is TV's Kent Brockman. All right, let's do some edumacation. All righty, righty. So, cute and tasty little fact for you. So when Homer is on his way home, he stops by the Quickie Mart, as we said, to get some chocolate ice cream. The earliest frozen chocolate recipes were published in Naples, Italy, in 1693. It's widely acknowledged that chocolate was one of the first ice cream flavors. It was created before vanilla ice cream. Hmm. At the start of the episode, we see Sideshow Bob being stuffed and launched into a human cannon. I know we haven't had much luck shooting you out of this cannon, but maybe that's because we haven't used enough Gunpowder. Now, I always thought that they kind of stuffed gunpowder into the cannon and, you know, they shot the person out like a bullet. But if you actually stop and think about it for a hot second, that person would literally just turn to mush if you did that. Instead, inside the barrel of a cannon is an empty cylinder in which the performer climbs. The cylinder has like a little sled inside and the performer lies on the sled and then that gets slung shot out. Slingshot? Slingshotted. It gets flung out. Just for effect and drama, they do add gunpowder on the outside of the cannon to make it look like there has been an explosion. Sorry for spoiling the show, guys. But yeah, just remember, it's showbiz, so it's all smoke and mirrors, baby. 
The first human cannonball was launched in 1877 at the Royal Aquarium in London, and it was this 14-year-old girl called Zazel, whose real name was Rosa Matilda Richa. So Zazel's cannon used rubber springs to launch her, and that did limit the distance that they could launch her into the air. Unfortunately, Zazel's career came to an end when a launch went awry and she broke her back. Currently, the world record holder for the longest human cannonball flight is 60 metres. Well, it's actually 59.05 metres. And it was achieved by David the Bullet Smith Jr. on the set of a show in Italy in 2011. Although it is a little less common these days, human cannonballing is still used in circuses and other performances around the world. It's actually very, very dangerous. And we've had more than 30 human cannonballs die throughout history, which... I get that's not a lot, like 30 is not a lot of people throughout history, but it is when you consider how they died. One of the more recent deaths occurred in Kent in the United Kingdom in 2011, when a human cannonball died as a result of the failure of the safety net. You see, circus performers are always really keen to point out that it's not really that hard to launch a human being into the air. It's the landing that causes the problem. To that end, most acts will use a large net or even giant airbags to try and absorb the energy of the cannonball. All right, let's discuss public burning of merch and how we used to cancel celebrities back in the good old days. In this episode, we hear Reverend Lovejoy calling upon the congregation and asking them to publicly burn crusty merch. I urge every halfway decent member of our community to gather up all merchandise that bears the likeness of Krusty, that clown prince of corruption, and join me in a public burning! So you may not know this, but the same thing happened to the Beatles back when they got cancelled. So back in 1966, when the world was at peak Beatlemania, in an interview, John Lennon remarked that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. The interview was in London's Evening Standard, where they ran this weekly series titled, How Does a Beatle Live? It used to feature John Lennon, Ringo Starr, George Harrison, and Paul McCartney. The articles were written by a journalist named Maureen Cleave, who had known the group well and interviewed them regularly since the start of their career. So for this particular series, she chose to interview the band members individually rather than a pack. So for John Lennon's interview, Cleave said that Lennon's house was a mishmash of stuff that you'd expect John Lennon to have. There was a gaudy crucifix next to a suit of armour and an Aldous Huxley collection in the corner. During the interview, Lennon said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. Guys, don't get too excited. I don't think he meant that Jesus' disciples were thick with a double C. Although I like to think of Judas and Jesus like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj when Cardi tried to attack Nicki at a party and threw a shoe at her, but then she got dragged out after being clonked on the head by the security guard. Guess what, bitch? <laughs> anyway, so this interview caused absolutely zero outrage in the UK. No one really batted an eyelid, and it was just like another editorial on one of the Beatles. In the US, Newsweek and the New York Times published both of the same articles and still nothing was said. So there was this super spicy youth magazine called Datebook that also published a lot of the same content. Their September issue was called Shout Out and it was kind of like dedicated to controversial youth-oriented themes. So they included stuff about recreational drugs, sex, long hair and the Vietnam War. 
Art Unger, the magazine's editor, put a quote from Lennon's interview on the cover, um, and it basically said, I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Unger said the editor chose Lennon's most damning comment for maximum effect. They also placed it on the cover just below a quote from Paul McCartney regarding America, where he said, it's a lousy country where anyone black is a dirty N-word. I feel like that's a little bit more controversial than what Lennon said, but anyway. They also only printed Paul McCartney's image on the cover, and that was supposed to incite, you know, Beatles fans to be like, that's not Lennon, and to buy it and get angry. You know, it's one of those, it's like the original clickbait articles. The magazine was sent out to a radio station called American South, WAQY disc jockey Tommy Charles in Alabama heard about Lennon's remarks from his co-presenter Doug Layton and said, that does it for me. I'm not going to play the Beatles anymore. And the pair set about destroying Beatles vinyl LPs on air. Charles later stated, we just felt that it was absurd and sacrilegious that something ought to be done to show them that they cannot get away with this kind of stuff. And now people in the US who heard this started wilding. Lennon's remarks were deemed blasphemous by so many right-wing religious groups. More than 30 radio stations across the US followed WAQY's lead by refusing to play the Beatles' music. WAQY, is it Wacky or WAQI? I'm not sure, hired a tree-grinding machine and invited listeners to deliver their Beatles merchandise for destruction. KCBN, um, another station in Nevada, broadcast hourly editorials condemning the Beatles, and announced a public bonfire for the 6th of August where the band's albums would be burned. Several southern stations organised demonstrations with bonfires, drawing crowds of teenagers to publicly burn their Beatles records, effigies of the band, and other memorabilia. Even the KKK picketed the Beatles' performances, with the Grand Wizard being very angry with little Johnny Boy. The Beatles made a statement in all the newspapers that they're getting more better than uh, Jesus himself, and the Ku Klux Klan, being a religious order, is going to come out here the night that they appear at the Coliseum here. The Beatles' manager, Brian Epstein, wasn't too fussed, and apparently all he said was, if they burn Beatles' records, they've got to buy them first. The Beatles did eventually go on their tour in the U.S., Lennon did appear at a press conference to say, I suppose if I'd said television was more popular than Jesus, I would have gotten away with it. I'm sorry I opened my mouth. If you want me to apologize, he concluded, if that's what will make you happy, then okay, I'm sorry. Which to me kind of sounds like one of my exes apologizing. You know, that whole like, I'm sorry you're upset, that kind of thing. So of course this media drama didn't stop the Beatles or Beatlemania, and John continued to be a ponce throughout his life. In 1968, John again ran his mouth and claimed to be the living reincarnation of Christ. Okay, I'll just stop here and say I don't hate the Beatles. I'm actually quite a big Beatles fan, so please don't come for me. But what I do really dislike, so many people seem to think that John Lennon was some kind of saint who preached peace and did no wrong. Just remember that he was a fantastic musician, but he was a hypocrite who was incredibly violent to his family. So I guess we always need to remind ourselves that your heroes are humans too, and they definitely have bad sides to them. So as for the religious comments, Mark David Chapman did cite this as his reason for shooting John Lennon. Interestingly, in 2008, the Vatican released an article marking the 40th anniversary of the Beatles' White Album, in which they said, 
The remark, which triggered deep indignation mainly in the United States after many years sounds only like a boast by a young working-class Englishman faced with an unexpected success after growing up in the legend of Elvis and rock and roll. Ringo Starr responded and said, Didn't the Vatican say we were possibly satanic and they've still forgiven us? I think the Vatican's got more to talk about than the Beatles. The more popular than Jesus drama affects media and music even to this day. In 1997, my husband and soulmate Noel Gallagher claimed that Oasis was bigger than God. Oh, he's so humble. The following day, Sporty Spice responded to Gallagher by saying, If Oasis are bigger than God, what does that make the Spice Girls? Bigger than Buddha? Because we are a darn sight bigger than Oasis. Sporty Spice also went on to play Mary Magdalene in the 2012 production of Jesus Christ Superstar. Hey, right here, Christy Souvenirs, buy them and burn them, right here. Good people, <laughs> I'm so happy you're all here tonight, uh, but please, just a few words of caution. Now, we are going to set this pile of evil ablaze, but because these are children's toys, the fire will spread quickly, so please stand back and try not to inhale the toxic fumes. And with that, my dear friends, we come to another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns and our deep dive examination of Season 1, Episode 12, Krusty Gets Busted. I still find it super titillating to know that human cannonballs are still a thing, although we should campaign to make the landing safer. Also, I just remembered a weird episode of Angry Beavers where they said their, I think they said their band was bigger than sliced bread. And everyone started burning their CDs and they were like, oh, no, we meant we were like bigger than a slice of bread and held up a slice of bread. Hang on one sec. Wait, let me look this up. Oh, my God. Okay, so this episode was called Beaver Fever. Teehee. And in this episode, Norbert holds a press conference in his pajamas, which is a reference to John Lennon and Yoko Ono in their lion bullshit protest. Their album is called the Bark Album, a reference to the White Album, and someone is holding up a sign in the crowd that says, is Daggett dead? And this is a reference to the whole Paul McCartney dead rumours. Like, I remember being told when I was growing up, if you play I Am the Walrus backwards, it says Paul is the walrus. I don't know. Anyway, um, also just as a closing thought, anyone who chooses vanilla ice cream over chocolate belongs in the bin. So for our next episode and final episode of season one, We're going to be tackling the episode that was supposed to be the first aired. That episode is Some Enchanted Evening. Stay tuned for another embiggened episode, my dear pals. And as always, keep watching the skis!